0: Colossians chapter 2 this evening. Colossians chapter 2. You're not going to remember this, but when I was here last, we looked at the first chapter of Colossians, and tonight I want to look at the second chapter of Colossians. And I want to focus, Lord willing, on the truth of Christ and how the truth of Christ creates struggle for that truth And against error. As you read through the book of Colossians, you'll note several things. One of them being the main theme of the book of Colossians, the key to unlocking the meaning of the book, the main theme is the superiority of Jesus Christ. Christ is more better. Not great English, but a great truth. Christ is more better. Better, the superiority of Christ. When we look at each chapter in specific underneath that main theme of the superiority of Christ, we realize that the, the book of Colossians, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul is helping this church to which he'd never visited. He'd never seen any of these men and women, these believers physically. But we'll see that he felt akin to them. He felt a relationship to them. And it was his burden to prepare them and caution them against what? False teaching. It was his thought. It was his burden. It was his pastoral uh, conflict, we'll see. His fight was. Against false doctrine and preparing them this church so that they would not be led astray. So, as we go into Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at a couple of truths tonight, just two uh, this great struggle for truth and the great struggle against error. We're going to see some similarities between the two. We're also going to see a theme between all three messages of today from Numbers 16, from Psalm 23, and from Colossians 2. So we have a lot of work to do, and I hope we can get right to it. And I pray that your focus can be razor sharp and that you can get uh, from God's Word what we need to get tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are so good to us to provide this nice, cool place and comfortable place to meet. We thank you that you've brought these brothers and sisters in Christ to meet together to offer to you the worship you're so richly due and deserve and also that we could study together the word of God, to sing together your praises, to count the many blessings that you've bestowed upon us undeserving, but through your grace and mercy you bless us. Lord, please continue to bless us tonight as we would Come begging for truth from your word and helping us to apply that truth to make a difference for the eternal kingdom. Help us, Father, to be better prepared against false doctrine, to be able to lead others to Christ and to help each other from false doctrine. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Keep your finger in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. So about 60, 62 years after the death of Christ. So not long after the death of Christ, uh, we now have the uh, inspired letter to the church in Colossae. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. Here he refers to Timotheus as his brother. In some other cases, he refers to Timotheus as his son in the faith very close Paul and Timothy Timothy looked at Paul as his father in the faith maybe you have someone that you look to as your father in the faith or someone looks to you as their father in the faith a sweet connection to the saints who are they writing to to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae grace be unto you and peace from God our father and the lord Jesus Christ the typical uh, yeah. Introduction from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse three, "We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you." Do you remember where Paul is writing this from? Prison. So he's not necessarily in the lap of luxury. <laughs> he's possibly could be distracted by being locked up in prison, or more than likely, it has focused him on the churches that need to be encouraged and challenged in the Lord. And you see that, that focus, a laser-like focus. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that's why they're praying for them. That's why they're thanking God. Paul has heard from probably Epiphras about this church's living for the Lord this church being on fire for Christ. We heard of your faith in Christ and of the love which He have to all the saints. You're starting to get a picture of the audience, the recipients of this letter. Believers in Jesus Christ who love the Lord, who want to serve the Lord. Verse 5, For the hope which is laid up of you in heaven Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, taught more than likely by Epiphras, as it is in all the world and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it. They heard the gospel, they received Christ, and they haven't stopped. They continue to grow in the Lord and desire to serve Him and to walk in Him. It says, As it is in all the world and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned of Epaphras, uh, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And this is where we get the idea that they would have heard these truths, the gospel from Epaphras. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit jump forward now to chapter 2 uh, verse 1 uh, chapter 1 verse 16 for by christ were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him and he is what He is before all things. That idea of priority. Christ is our priority. Many of you have other things that you could be doing tonight. And instead, you looked at those list of things and you said, I have a priority. And his name is Christ. So what am I going to do tonight? Del Taco's got a great sale. Well, I could do that after church. Uh, I need to do my laundry. Well, I I could actually do that after church. Uh, We have a priority, don't we? And according to the Apostle Paul and Timotheus, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, He, Jesus Christ, is the priority before all things, and by Him all things consist because He is the creator of all things, because He is our creator, because He gave His life for us, because He is in control, because He cares, because we receive comfort from Him, we are not going to rebel against Him. We are not going to go down a slippery slope of lack of prioritizing Him. We are going to keep Him number one. We are going to keep Christ on the throne of our heart. I was asked one time, well, several times, really, several, several different people, but one in particular I remember because they know better. Why do you care so much whether somebody's in church or not? What's the big deal? Maybe they had an emergency. And that's true. Emergencies happen. Providentially hindered from coming to church, That's one thing. But if we refuse to come to church because we have a higher priority than Christ, then that's another. You're here tonight because you made a choice to be here. You have a priority, and that priority is Christ. And if Pastor uh, uh, Kuhlman was here tonight, he would smile as he would see each one of your faces because He cares for you and He wants you to prioritize Christ. And one way we reveal who is our priority or what is our priority is by our schedule. Yeah, sure, people get hindered. People get, have emergencies. That happens. But it's when it's not an emergency, when it's not providentially hindered and the still not coming to church then that's an indication of a lack of prioritizing Christ. Paul and Timothy are writing to the church at Colossae. They're encouraged by their faith, by their stand for Christ, by their steadfastness for Christ. They are not going to quit. They're going to be like a wolfie who a quarter of the way up this hill at the easy part begins to whine and I want to take and wring in his neck you haven't even gotten to the difficult part yet don't quit now we were talking at the shows which I'm appreciative of the shows putting up with me again for lunch today Uh huge blessing great food and even better fellowship and that is a blessing so thank you very much and I'm going home with some pierogies which is a blessing But there's Wolfie. And there's so much more to go on the hike. And as was brought up today at lunch, if you don't finish the hike, guess what you don't get to see? The view. And I remember Wolfie sitting on top as we were on top of that peak. Somewhere above 7,000 feet we were. Planes were just flying above us with gliders attached, releasing the gliders. And the gliders would silently go go in circles back down to the the airport. And there's Wolfie. He's just soaking it in, man. Big smile on his face. Had Wolfie quit, he wouldn't have enjoyed the view. And it would have bugged him as everybody in the scouts talked about the view. And he would have thought to himself, if only, if only I had continued, if only I didn't quit. Don't quit. Keep pressing on. Be steadfast for Christ. Keep Him the priority. Jesus Christ. He's more better. Look at verse 23. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. All these commas, because Paul has all these thoughts that he wants to continue But because they've been steadfast, they are at the peak. They are are seeing the view, if you will. Don't quit. Press on. Verse 28 of chapter 1. Start in verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Uh, Among the Gentiles, the mystery of the gospel, the fact that God would make available uh, salvation full and free to even those who are not Jews. The great mystery that the gospel is available to all, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, that is, uh, mature, fully furnished in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter your past, your present, or your future. Jesus Christ and the salvation made available through Jesus Christ is available to all. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, so therefore we no longer have to live according to the law. Praise God for that. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul, again, emphasizing the labor, the work that's part of his love and concern for these people in Colossae. Get get now to our text. Verses 1 and 2, we see this great struggle for truth. What does this struggle for truth and against error look like? If we were to be able to take this conflict, uh, this tension, this uh, contention, anxiety, a race, if you will, if we were able to take this contention between truth and error and, and push it away and kind of get a a, a look at it from all angles, what would it look like? Well, first we see this great struggle for truth. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches to the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. We first see the great struggle for truth. Who are the recipients of this struggle for truth? Those in Laodicea, those in Colossae. Believers, you and me. You have a pastor in Pastor Kuhlman who stands for truth and then stands against error. This morning we saw in number 16, what it would look like if someone is standing against you, at enmity with you. And that was bad this morning November, in, in number 16. Korah standing against Moses and Aaron. And ultimately standing against God. Leaning in, anger, hatred for the truth. Here we see there is a standing against that which is false. When we stand for truth, it is automatic that we in turn stand against error. Oh, Pastor T, I I can't do that. You must do that. We must do that. You say, oh, Pastor T, I'm just all about love. I want to share God's love. We must do that too. But we have to share share the truth in love. And that automatically means we stand for truth and we stand against error. Because if we're standing for the truth, when the error unveils itself or reveals itself, We must stand against it. The Apostle Paul was in conflict for them. He had contention for them. Not because he was mad at them. He's obviously pleased in their faith in Christ and their walk in the Lord. But he knows that there is a contingency there of Jews who have yet to have received Christ who were adding to the gospel well, yeah, you, you, you can receive Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. You can receive Christ, but you also have to be, you name it. And we see that today at higher grounds there, right there at Edwards Air Force Base. I have run into consistently, well, yeah, you need to receive Christ, but you also have to be speaking in tongues or you also have to be baptized or you also have to be, and you name it. It's the same thing. Nothing has changed. Satan doesn't have a new way or a new method of doing anything. Hath God really said all the way back to Genesis 3, right? We have to know the truth. And when we know the truth, we have to stand against error. Paul says, for I would that ye knew what great conflict I have, not against you, but what great conflict I have for you. I am willing to fight for you. I am willing to put myself in contention for you. And as I said this morning, I listened to Pastor Coleman's message on the rainbow uh, idol, the LGBTQ plus community and um, their incessance that we not only accept it, but we celebrate it. And his message repeatedly was that we cannot do that. We must stand against that. The great struggle for truth. We see the recipients, they're brothers and sisters in Christ from Laodicea here in Colossae as well. And they're also, brethren, lacking familiarity These are people that he's not even familiar with. Uh, We may have the tendency to say, well, maybe like in the the Church of Colossae, may have had the tendency to say, well, Paul doesn't even know me. How can he say something like that? Who put him in authority? And if we think back to number 16 this morning, the same question was asked. Well, who put you in authority? Moses, Aaron. We're all the same. We're all sinners under the cross, and we are. But when God has put someone in authority over us, there has to be that submission to that authority, a biblical authority. We're not anarchists. There is a order. And that word is actually used a little further on in this passage, which we'll discuss. These are brothers and sisters in Christ that have never met the Apostle Paul, and yet he is telling them, you... I am willing to fight for just because he's heard of their faith in Christ. We have missionaries come from China, uh, for instance. And in China, they are persecuted for their faith and they've been run underground if they name the name of Christ. And we hear of that. And the scripture tells us that we must lift up those brothers and sisters in prayer to God. We have a responsibility for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world to lift them up in prayer, to pray that God would help them to stand for truth and against error. Our neighbors to the north, eh? From Canada. If you name the name of Christ in Canada... Prepare yourself for a battle. If you preach a message like Pastor Coleman preached about homosexuality and the sin of homosexuality, and just to note, lying is a sin too. Adultery is a sin too. We don't just pick out homosexuality and focus on that. They need Christ. Adulterers need Christ. Liars need Christ. But if, if, if you were to preach that message in Canada, eh? Eh? you'd be in trouble. There would be some issues, some contention, some conflict. And Paul says, I am willing to go to battle. You need to stand for truth as I stand for truth, and you need to stand against error as I would stand against error. Does Paul know anything about standing against error? (laughs) He sure does. He sure does. Pharisee of Pharisees who recants the works of the flesh, who recants the works of religion and says, it's all about Christ. He is the Messiah. He is King of Kings. He is God, very God. And he would face persecution for that. That's why he's in prison writing this this letter. So we see the recipients, brothers and sisters from Laodicea, from Colossae. We see... The brethren lacking familiarity. They're, they're, they're people that Paul doesn't even know, yet he's, he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them in this way. I have a conflict for you. I am willing to go to bat to battle for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as not seen my face in the flesh. Why? What's the reason? What's the motivation that Paul has? Some have called, have called this the, the pastor's motivation. Well, look at the next part of the verse. Verse 2, that their hearts might be what? To encourage their hearts. You say, well, how is a battle, how is a struggle, how is a conflict encouraging to hearts? Let's think back. Let's talk about old Woofy. Old Woofy climbing that hill. On the way down, after we've made it to the top, we ate our lunches, everybody's sharing some stories. We're going on the way back and those scouts are running down that cliff face almost, very steep incline for a mile. They're literally running and seeing how far, how much ground can go underneath their feet before they touch the earth again. And I was watching and I was laughing, praying that they wouldn't break a bone, have a compound fracture, be able to sign some scouts off on how to do some first aid, maybe. But then at the bottom, we all stop. And What are they doing at the bottom? What do you think? They're talking. And what are they talking about? Did you see me? Dude, I took sky. I, I, I caught air off that rock. Another guy, I heard uh, Jaden saying, I hit a tree. It was so cool. And He's like, my rib hurts a little bit. So then you wonder, do you break a rib? You know what's going on? But they're there and they're talking about their struggles. They're talking about what they overcame and it's creating what? It's creating a bond. We call it camaraderie. A unit in the military does not get nearly as strong until after they've been in battle. Until after they've been through, if it's not battle, maybe a real tough exercise. Where they're practicing for battle. And then they come back from that. They're at chow. What are they doing? Dude, did you see what Sarge did? I couldn't believe it. Hey, did you see what happened to me? Look at this. Man, I got this big laceration right here. I probably need to have have some stitches, but I'm not going, you know, whatever. And there forms this bond, this unity. When a church goes through conflict, when a church goes through struggle, when you and I as individuals in the church stand together for truth, against error, there becomes bonding. There becomes camaraderie. It creates unity. And there is a comfort in heart when we know we've done the right thing. there is a comfort, there is an encouragement when we do the right thing, no matter the consequence. That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. We see Paul's reason for writing, this reason for the conflict, the reason for the great struggle for truth is first, that it's encouraging to hearts. Second, It enlists unity. It creates a bond and a camaraderie. And thirdly, it ensures understanding of the mystery. There is nothing like trying to learn a language than going to the country and immersing yourself. Yeah, try to find your way around without learning the language. You want to learn a language? Go to that country and immerse yourself in in that country. You're going to learn. And you'll learn faster than you would in any schooling. There's just something about pressure. There's something about testing. We have to be tested. We have to be struggling. We have to be in conflict. There are benefits to it, but even if there weren't any benefits to it and it was nothing but one big struggle, we would still have to do it because it's what we're called to do. Stand for truth. Be steadfast for truth. He ends in verse 2, Being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ that the gospel is made available to anyone who would believe. How are we going to find that out if we're not out there telling people? How are we going to find that out for ourselves if we're not out there putting ourselves in difficult situations? How are we going to find out if our neighbor needs Christ if we don't go talk to them? how are we going to grow in our ability to share Christ if we don't share Christ? You can learn from Scripture. You can study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can study, but you actually have to go out and use what you're studying. Share the gospel with people. Take those those providential appointments that God has given to you and to me. Don't shy away from them. Pray for them and take advantage of them and watch. Oh, it's so difficult. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. And then watch what God does. I don't know if you guys do that here, but a lot of churches have um, visitation, and you go out in groups, and you just give invitations to church. You go out in your neighborhood and leave tracks on the door, uh, maybe a knock on the door, and just say, Hey, uh, my name's Rob. I uh, want to invite you to Calvary Baptist Church right here in beautiful downtown Yucca Valley. Um, here you go. Service times are right in the back. The church I was at in Iceland did that. And then we would have a time afterward of fellowship. What do you think would happen in that time of fellowship? What were people talking about? Dude, I gave this guy a track. He threw it in my face and spit at me. It was amazing. Pastor, you would never guess. I saw this guy. He had a leather jacket on. He had piercings all up and down his 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 ears and in his, in his nostrils. He had piercings everywhere. I gave him a track. He said he's going to come to church. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And you have the same effect. You have this camaraderie. You have this unity. But it only happens when we put ourselves in difficult situations. It only happens when we put ourselves in stretching situations. The reason the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is writing this to the church at Colossae and Laodicea and to the church at Calvary Baptist Church, is that we may enlist in His service in unity and understand the mystery of the gospel, that it is made available to all who will deposit their trust and faith in Christ alone. He continues, verse 3. We leave this idea of the great struggle for truth and now there's a slight, a subtle shift to now a great struggle against error. And again, this is the natural occurrence. This will occur because it's what happens when you stand for truth. You automatically stand against error. Look at verse 3. In whom, that is in Jesus Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They are not unfindable, these treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They are able to be found. How? How do we find uh, these that are hid in Christ? We read it. These nuggets of truth, these, these uh, gold uh, bullions of, of, of truth in Scripture hid to the unbeliever, but revealed to the believer through the Holy Spirit of God and His teaching of the Word, helping us understand the Word. This great struggle against error is motivated by our recognition of Christ. We, if we recognize Christ, if we understand the mystery of the gospel. That mystery being that through Christ it's made available to all, whether Jewish or Gentile. If we understand, if we recognize Christ, then we will recognize there is a struggle against error that seeks to pull people from Christ. The truth Attracts them to Christ. The error seeks to pull them from Christ. We see in this recognition of Christ, how are we to recognize Him? How are we to be familiar with Christ, but by understanding these treasures of wisdom and knowledge? My pastor says, the difference between wisdom and knowledge is this. Knowledge is understanding that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is understanding that you don't put tomatoes in fruit salad. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it. Wisdom is taking God's word and understanding its practicality, right? Understanding what we need to do when we read it. To be a hearer and then a doer of the word. Hidden in Christ who is revealed in this book are treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, so we seek to be wise with the wisdom, uh, wise with the knowledge we receive from our reading of the Scriptures. We don't want to just know stuff. We want to know stuff for the purpose of reaching others for Christ to apply it and therefore make wise choices. Take the knowledge and apply it. The definition of wisdom. He continues and he says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You note the propensity of those treasures. This is all that we need. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found In this book, from the book of Genesis to the book of the Revelation, everything we need is right here. So if that's the truth and we seek to be wise with that knowledge, then what ought we to be doing with most of our time? We ought to be in this book. We've got to know this book better. We've got to know this book as best as we can. We recognize Christ in this great great struggle against error, and we also remember caution. Now, this verse brings us back in line with this chapter uh, 1 and 2 theme. We're, We're under the theme of the superiority of Christ. His truth, the fact that Jesus Christ is truth. If we receive Christ, then we are receiving truth, and therefore we automatically are standing against error. And with that in mind, we, we look at this next verse. And this I say, lest any man should what beguile you with enticing words. Um, I heard this illustration. It's not mine. I like strawberries. I like strawberries better with whipped cream. <laughs> Maybe a little chocolate sauce and ice cream underneath it. A lot of ice cream underneath it. If you put strawberries on it, it's a fruit dish. It's better for you. It's more healthy. That's not true. That's false. False teacher. So, strawberries are delicious. If you like strawberries, you can nod your head and you can say, oh, well, yeah, yeah, strawberries are delicious. But you can't catch a, catch a fish, as far as I know. You can't catch a fish with a strawberry. What do you have to use for a fish? A juicy worm or, you know, you guys that are better fishermen than I am, I'm not a fisherman, I just go by what I hear, uh, that worms are pretty much what you would catch maybe the basic general fish with. But you probably can't catch a fish with a strawberry. What is enticing to you may not necessarily be enticing to me. And the thing here is Satan knows what is enticing to you and he knows what is enticing to me so that if one person likes strawberries, one person says, oh, Strawberries, oh, you know. One person says, I hate uh, the little cabbages, which are called Brussels sprouts. Thank you. And another person says, oh, Brussels sprouts are so good. Satan knows what entices us, doesn't he? He can package things in a way that looks so good. Uh, The word beguile means to deceive it's exactly what he did in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve. He beguiled her. He deceived her. He asked her, hath God really said? And that's exactly the same method he uses to this day in 2023. Eh. Does God really say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? Well, you can take today off. What a, just, just take today off. Not a big deal. Do you understand... If if you are in church every Sunday and every Wednesday, whenever these doors are open, you have made yourself available to be a blessing to your church. And I understand. I understand. Things happen. Sometimes you cannot make it. I understand. But when you can make it, you should be here. Because if you're not here, guess what? God can't use you. I've heard it over and over in ministry I got saved when I was 19, I'm almost 51, November I'll be 51. and I've heard it over and over in these years of being a Christian, how someone being at church was a blessing to a visitor or maybe that person who was at church led that visitor to the Lord. What if that, what if that person who was in church that day decided not to come? Would that person have ever come to know Christ as savior? When when we make ourselves available, God can use us. But when we say, "Uh uh-uh, can't tonight, God can't use us. And we have to keep that in mind. There were men at this church in Colossae who were spreading through deception, through pretty packages, persuasive language, fallacy. You ever watch Joel Osteen? I mean, I don't recommend watching him, but if you have, you've noted he is a phenomenal speaker, and he looks good. I mean, he's got this perfect hair. He looks good. He speaks well. He can He can just... My wife, when she wraps packages for Christmas and for birthdays, it's amazing. It's like I just... Watch somebody from JCPenney or you know, somebody's a professional do this package, and I, I ache when I have to take the ribbon off because I know how long it took her to, to do that. It's not one of those things you buy, it's already pretty, and, and then you just stick it on the package. She takes the ribbon and does all this stuff, and bam, there's this beautiful ribbon on the package. And it, the package looks beautiful. And you want to receive it. You want to open it. You want it to be yours. You say, man, it looks that good. It's got to be good. I want that. I don't know what's in it, but I want it. Persuasive language, this idea of enticing words. We have to be, uh, our antennas have to be up. We have to be alert to the fact that Satan can appear as an angel of light and he can look great, enticing we think of Satan, we think of maybe some horror movies, and he's, ah, oh, you know. No, more times than not, he's going to be beautiful. Maybe perhaps the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And he's going to have enticing words. It's going to be all wrapped up, looking gorgeous. But if we know the truth, we'll see that lie for what it is. Wait a minute, did I just... Did I just hear, did you just say you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Wait, wait, did did I just hear you say I have to speak in what? In tongues in order to be saved? Wait a minute, did I just hear you say and, and on and on? when we understand the truth, we understand the mystery of the gospel, we understand who Christ is, we recognize Him, and we're ingesting and feeding our spirit the truth and the truth and the truth, and we're in the Word. Fallacy will have no defense against the truth. Fallacy falls every time when it faces truth. Remember the caution Recognize Christ, remember the cross in this great struggle against error. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Verse 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He is realizing, he is unveiling the camaraderie that comes through conflict. He is letting them know, I will stand against error for you. And through that, you too will stand against error and we will have fellowship. We will have camaraderie. We recognize Christ, we remember caution, and we realize camaraderie when we struggle against error. When we, like Paul, have conflict for each other. Hey, brother, I saw you were listening to Joel Osteen. Do you know what Joel Osteen believes and teaches? Well, no, I mean, he just looks great. He's got great hair. You know, for a guy like me and, and, and G, we like guys with great hair. Mr. George still has great hair. Wish I had hair like Mr. George. Joel Osteen has great hair. But he's a false teacher, straight from the pits of hell. And we who recognize truth, recognize Christ, remember caution. We will be able to help one another. And in that help, realize camaraderie. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. You know, I'm away from my church. I called my wife. I said, hey, did so-and-so show up? Was so-and-so there? How did your piano playing go? How did the music go? And she fills me in. Why? Because I care about what's going on at that church. It's my church. When you're gone from Calvary Baptist Church, are you gone physically but here in spirit? Hey, pastor, how did things go on Sunday? I know I was gone, but how did things go? I wanted to find out about whoever, Joe Bob and Mary Lou, did they show up? I've been talking to them. I've been trying to be a witness to them. Paul never met these people. But he was with them in spirit, joying and beholding their order. This idea of order is a regular arrangement. It really has a military aspect to it. In marching... Rank and file. You have to have your squadron, in my context, I'm thinking of a squadron, you have to have your squadron uh, arranged by height. And there are certain um, drills that you do in order to get that squadron arranged by height. And then once it's all arranged by height, the guide on is leading, and then you give the orders to commence the march. And if it's good... You won't see anybody bobbing ahead head up when the head should be down. In all reality, the heads, there shouldn't be any movement in that entire unit marching. They should be one unit, solid, unified. And if they're not, they have to be fixed. It has to be fixed. They're out of step. They're out of time. And now their head is up here when everybody else's head is down here or they're Stepping on the left foot when they're supposed to be stepping on the right foot. Or they're not catching the heel beat. Something's wrong. He says, I, Though I'm absent, I'm with you in spirit. And I receive joy in beholding, in understanding from what I've been told, your order. Your regular arrangement. The fact that you know what God has called you to do and you're doing it to the best of your ability. If God has called you, uh, as he has me, to clean the toilets at church, then do it to the best of your ability. If God has called you to lead the music, don't break people's arms, but do the best you can to motivate them to sing. When Jesse says turn to 367, I'm turning to 367 as fast as I can. I don't want to have to have him come see me afterward. What are you taking so much time turn it to 367 for? I'm sorry, sir. Drop down and give me 15 right now. Yes, sir. <laughs> there is an order, isn't there? God has called us to do things, to be... Um, a nose in the body of Christ, some to be an elbow, some to be a callus on the hand to protect the hand, some to be a finger, some to be a heart, some to be a brain, some to be an eye. We all have our part in the body of Christ. And if you are not here, what happens to the body? It's got some issues, huh? If you're a nose and you don't show up, how's the body going to breathe? If you're an elbow and the body falls down, what's it going to land on? I don't know if that makes any sense. But I'm thinking about my scouts going down that that hill, bloodying up their elbows. If they didn't have an elbow, they probably would have broke their ribs. There's a purpose. And there's a reason for every believer. We're all different. And we all have a different order, part of, the order, the arrangement that God has made in this entity that he calls the church. And beholding your order, he received joy. And what else, re- receives, what else does he receive joy by? The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Lastly, we look at this idea of a spiritual testimony. Standing against error can only be effective if you have a positive spiritual testimony. If you're living for Christ on Sunday and come Monday morning, you're living for the world, and then Tuesday you go to stand against error, that's not going to work out so well for you. Paul says, I am joy-filled. By your steadfastness in faith in Jesus Christ. Your ability to be immovable in your faith in Christ. You know the truth and nothing is going to sway you from the truth. How do you get to that point? You've got to read this book over and over. You've got to come to church and hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word. You've got to put yourself in situations that are difficult and stretching. You got to come up to pastor and say, "Hey, what can I do? What else can I do here? Is there anything that I can do?" Miss Marilyn came up and played the piano. What a blessing to have someone who was willing to come and do ministry, to play the piano for us. That was a blessing. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ, it all builds on understanding the mystery of the gospel. It all builds on recognizing Christ and learning more of Him. He continues, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. The idea of walking in Him is like a fish in water. A fish out of water Does what? Dies. It kind of, did you say flops? Yeah, it just kind of flops around and eventually it stops flopping and then he goes in the toilet. Gets flushed down and he goes into the septic system of heaven. You ever had goldfish for your kids? You understand what I'm talking about. The idea of a fish out of water is that of kind of someone who doesn't know what they're doing in the situation they're in, right? A fish in water is perfectly fine. A fish in water receives everything they need, is is understanding of what they need to do, knows how to get around, and they're constantly in the water. This idea, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, it's the idea of a fish in the water. That we are so in Christ that if we changed, if we were out of Him for just a moment, we would be like that fish (gasps) gasping for air, understanding that if I don't get back in Christ, I'm going to die. We have to be so reliant on truth That is Jesus Christ on understanding the gospel and the mystery of the gospel. That if we stop, we will start gasping for breath as if we're going to die. That's how reliant you and I as believers in Jesus Christ must be on his word, on truth. That if we stop, if we miss a service, it's as if we're going to die. We understand, you know what? I just jumped out of the water. Hopefully, there's going to be a brother in Christ that's going to come along and say, Hey, brother, you're flopping around. Hey, you need to get back in the water. Come on. Hopefully, there's going to be someone that's going to care enough for you to say, Hey, you jumped out of the water. You're no longer walking in Christ. How else does he illustrate this idea of struggling for truth, struggling against error. He uses a couple different illustrations here in verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him. That's the picture of a tree. That you would know Christ so well that you would continue to to, to be motivated to continue in His Word so much that it would be impossible for you to be moved from that truth. Like you are one of those great sequoias whose roots have gone down for thousands of years and out for thousands of years. And it would take a miracle of God to move that tree from its current location. It's so rooted and firm. He uses an illustration of the tree. He also uses an illustration of a building built up in him, this idea of construction upon a foundation. You have that concrete bed. You have that concrete uh, footer that you put everything else on. Have you ever seen the, a skyscraper built? That, the skyscraper that replaced the Twin Towers. They ha- I don't know the stats, but they went down into the bedrock. I don't know how many hundreds of feet they drilled down to shore that building up, to have a strong foundation. And you and I, whenever we're in this book, it's as if we're adding concrete footers to our structure. It's as if we're shoring up the base, the foundation, so that we can continue in this great struggle for truth and against error. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught. When we are careful, when we are remembering the caution that's given to us here, we are less likely to be beguiled. We are less likely to be enticed away by a pretty Packaged lie. Abounding therein with what? With thanksgiving. To take all of this in, to understand we are in a conflict for truth and in a conflict against error, to understand all of that, but not to apply the character trait of thanksgiving. Would cause failure. We must be thankful. In all of this, even in the midst of conflict, we walk away from that conflict and we must say to the Lord, Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for showing me the truth. Thank you for showing me that that was error. This idea of thanksgiving, even in the midst of This struggle. The truth of Christ creates struggle. Not just for the truth of Christ, but against the error that seeks to pull away from Christ. Verse 8, and finally ending, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through what? Through philosophy and vain deceit. Man's attempt to understand the world and the universe and eternal things outside of this book is what's called philosophy. And philosophy is attached to vain deceit. Vain means zero. Vain means empty. Vain means no value. A valueless lie is philosophy. After the tradition of men... After the rudiments, the elementary teaching of the world, and not after Christ. Christ is more better. Christ is superior. And when we recognize the truth, we will stand against error. We can help others recognize error. We can help others understand salvation full and free through Jesus Christ. This morning I heard the testimony of several who have been saved out of a religious system. They heard the truth. They recognized what Christ had done for them. They left the lie, and received the truth that is Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would struggle for truth and oh, that we would struggle against error. Let's pray.